Hey everybody, welcome to the Hogbeat Hour presented by Hogbeat.com and Rivals. I'm Mickey Chavanel, Managing Editor here with Andrew Hutchinson, our lead team reporter. Hutch, how was your bye week? It was good, you know, uh, although it wasn't really much of a, a week off. I mean, we had the, the Fall World Series with the baseball team. Uh, and, you know, we had some basketball stuff to write because of, you know, practices starting up. Uh, so really wasn't a lot of uh, downtime. Before, um, you know, we start with football and A&M and everything, um, tell me about that baseball team. How'd they look? I mean, I think they're going to be able to swing the bat. Uh, they they have a lot of options, you know, for the lineup. I mean, it's going to be hard for Dave Van Horn to figure out exactly how he's going to uh, – who all he's going to have in the lineup, uh, where he's going to start, guys. I mean, there's just a – there's a lot of options. It's it's a good problem to have. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned with what the pitching is going to look like. I think they're going to be better than what – they kind of seem to indicate in the Fall World Series because uh, the, the bats really kind of were the, the dominant uh, aspect of the, the six games. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's coming together. They're going to be a threat. And anytime you have veteran guys like, you know, Casey Opitz behind the plate and uh, some other guys, you know, coming back that were, were key members, Christian Franklin, uh, Robert Moore, guys like that, they're, they're going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. Hopefully we get some clarification on what the season's going to look like in 2021 uh, here sooner rather than later. But uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, as always. You wrote a nice lengthy feature on Casey Opitz. What did he have to tell you about why he came back uh, to Arkansas? I mean, he really, truly does just love this place. I mean, and I don't, I don't think that's, you know, up for debate considering, you know, he, he didn't get the offers that he was wanting to get whenever teams were calling him on draft day. Uh, but he probably still turned down a six figure signing bonus. And I personally, if I was 20, 21, 22 years old, I mean, heck I'm 26 right now and I couldn't imagine saying no to a six figure signing bonus. Uh, so that, that's a, just a credit to him a belief in his abilities, but also credit to Arkansas being a place he thinks he can, you know, come back for another year, continue to develop and, you know, get that signing bonus next summer. Yeah. And he said he wants a chance at another college world series appearance. How likely do you think that is after seeing the guys? I mean, I think they're a definite contender to, to make it back to Omaha. I mean, you, you can't really count them out with the amount of talent they have. It's a little bit of a crapshoot because it's kind of like the NCAA tournament in basketball. It just kind of depends on where your draw is, you know, what kind of matchups you get. Uh, but they're going to be in a position where they're going to, you know, possibly be able to host another regional, maybe host a super regional. Uh, and, you know, if they're playing at bomb, then uh, I, I'm, I like their chances. You wrote a ton of newcomer profiles over the summer for these um... Uh, new baseball guys. So which ones do people need to go back and read after seeing the fall world series and, and who's getting, um, you know, early action. I mean, the guy that's going to play the most, I think, and have the biggest impact is Caden Wallace. He's an in-state kid. He's from Greenbrier. We've known about him for several years. We were worried that uh, he might not even make it to campus uh, because he's just that talented, 
But being an in-state guy, I think he wants to come to Arkansas. He wants to to bring a national championship to Arkansas, not just another College World Series trip. Uh, but he just he he knocked the cover off the ball in the Fall World Series. I think he did uh, pretty much all fall, based on what I've heard. He got off to a little bit of a slow start, uh, but he had a couple of home runs, including one in Game One of the Fall World Series that was just an absolute no doubter. I mean, it was. He absolutely crushed it. Now, I could see him having a similar impact as a freshman as we saw from Casey Martin and Heston Kerstad a couple of years back where they came in and were immediate contributors on a you know, national runner-up team. I could definitely see that happening with Caden Wallace. I think he's that good. Um, as far as basketball goes, it sounds like practices are going well for the guys. Um, we'll talk to Connor Vanover and JD Note today. They're giving us a couple players every week until the season starts. So really appreciate that getting to getting to focus on a few guys every week. Um, it sounds like, you know, they have enough talent to just, the problem is figuring out who's going to play and how many minutes. And that's a good problem to have. Yeah, I mean, it's similar to what I was just saying with baseball. I mean, Eric Musselman has brought in a lot of really good players, whether it be, you know, the four talented, you know, four-star freshmen or the three uh, grad transfers or the guys that set out, like you mentioned just now, Vanover and Note uh, set out last year after transferring. And then you also throw in Desi Sills and Ethan Henderson returning. Uh, they've got a lot of pieces Uh now, which five guys are you going to have on the court at the same time? Are you going to have a pretty set lineup, or are you going to see maybe Eric decide to go big one game and, and start all the, the taller guys? Because you can do that now. You didn't have any really tall guys on last year's team. Or you could go small, and you could have a, a small lineup. And uh, they, they could have a, a more defensive lineup. You know, Jalen Tate, you know, being a, a grad transfer where he was a – defensive player of the year in his conference uh, he can maybe start and be that kind of shut down defender kind of like what we saw with Jimmy Whit last year there's just a lot of options uh, I think the biggest concern for for Eric Musselman right now is figuring out who is going to be this year's Mason Jones or Isaiah Joe who's going to be the guy they can give the ball late game situations to go get a bucket uh, to make plays in critical spots that remains to be seen and I think that's what's so critical about these next couple of weeks before the season gets underway. Um, you guys can go on hogbeat.com and check out the interviews with Connor Vanover and J.D. Note later today. And then you can also go read a ton of Fall World Series content in case you missed it from Hutch. Um, if you're not a subscriber already, you can get 30 days free with code H-A-W-G-S-30. That's HOGS30. Uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll get you to stick around. Um, it is A&M week. Um, game five for the Hogs. They are two and two. I'm just going to go with two and two for the future. I'm not going to keep doing the asterisk thing. We can't do it. We got to move on. Hutch, what do you feel about that? <laughs> I know yeah. we're still writing an article sometimes, you know, should be three and one, but we, we can't keep doing that. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's always going to be a footnote on this season, regardless of how it finishes up. Uh, but you, you got to keep saying two and two I mean that, that's what's going to go down in the record books there is yeah. no asterisk in the in the, in the final records and stuff so uh, I, I've been saying two and two but man if I had a dollar for every time someone responded to my tweet angrily <laughs> it's three and one uh, you know I'd be able to retire alternative facts <laughs> <laughs>
Um, yeah, so the game is, you know, Halloween night, 6.30 p.m., SEC Network. The game is at Kyle Field. So that was done because they didn't want to play a neutral site game with all the COVID protocol stuff, right? And so they decided, okay, A&M is the home team this year, so let's move it to Kyle Field. This week, um, the A&M athletic director, Ross Bjork, yeah. George, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> Bjork, he said um, in, I think it was like a board meeting or, or something like that, some some official the thing. He's Facebook Live, actually. Yeah. <laughs> they do they do like a little town hall. like Town TV hall, that's what it was. And stuff, so. Yeah, so he went on that and said that actually they are going to play again in AT&T Stadium in 2021. And we were all like, what the heck they're supposed to be coming to Fayetteville that's that was the deal alas uh that is not what's going to happen uh Hunter Yurchek confirmed without much explanation that um they are actually going to you know continue their contract play at AT AT&T Stadium and then you know the contract won't be extended further years because they're not playing there so um I mean whatever like the the guys for one year they'll be fine not playing at AT AT&T and then the the fans like I mean I don't know they they will be cool with going back to play at AT AT&T because they like that experience and then the fans that don't live in this part of you know Arkansas they actually get to go to a game in Dallas so I I feel like it's not that big of a deal I know home field advantage is always nice but like it, it is a nice experience to play in an NFL stadium, and especially that one, because it is so great. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas fans automatically went to, oh, my goodness, the SEC is trying to screw us. Yeah, uh, the SEC had nothing to, to do us. with it. I mean, the SEC is a player in the decision-making process. However, then it came out that it was Arkansas's decision, although Texas A&M, I guess, later kind of clarified and said, oh, it was a joint decision, which I don't know. I think that was just to – to play nice yeah. uh, but what I was told by a source is that uh, if if Arkansas had wanted to play the game in Fayetteville next year which Hunter Yurchek is on record saying back in July that if Arkansas played at A&M this year it was only fair if A&M came to Fayetteville next year uh, but the reason they didn't do that is because it would have tacked on two more years to the current contract with AT&T Stadium Right now, that contract goes through the 2024 season. Uh, so basically, it came down to Arkansas saying, all right, do we want the home game now and tack on an extra two years to that contract, or we just want to bite the bullet now, sacrifice this one year, and get it back to being on campus you know, two years earlier than it would. So uh, kind of uh, it, it seems to me like it was the Dallas Cowboys or Jerry Jones that kind of said, all right, you've got to stick to this contract or not, and really kind of gave Arkansas no choice. Because I get the feeling, you know, A&M has publicly come out and said that they want it to be a home-and-home on-campus series, which makes sense. It's an SEC game. Uh, you don't really see too many neutral site SEC games. I think Florida-Georgia is a, an exception. You know, Alabama-Auburn used to be that way. I think they used to play in Birmingham, but now for the last several years they've been – uh, on campus you just don't see that very often uh, so I, I get the feeling that Arkansas also wants to go to on campus however it's Jerry Jones he's got a very large pocketbook 
and you don't want to sacrifice that money. <laughs> you want to stay at his good graces uh, to, you know, keep getting that. But you also maybe want to say, hey, you know, personally, my, I would like to see Arkansas play a non-conference game there, you know, every other year or every three years or something like that. You know, play a Texas or an SMU or yeah. a, a, a TCU, Texas Tech. You know, one of the old Southwest Conference opponents uh, do it like that. I think that would be really uh, a, fun, a fun thing to do. Jerry said, I want to watch my team in my stadium, in my box, in my chair. <laughs> and that's what's going to happen in 2021. Too bad. Um, so A&M is 3-1 on the season. They have wins over Vanderbilt, Florida, which was an upset win, and Mississippi State. And they lost to Alabama in a pretty, pretty good beatdown. Um, I think Alabama and A&M were, were tied going into the second quarter. And then Mac Jones threw a long touchdown. And then A&M was driving. Alabama got a pick six or just a pick. And then, no, I think it was pick six. And then uh, they scored again before the half. So at the half, it was just like, okay, the wheels have now fallen off, um, as you would expect against Alabama. But Texas A&M right now is ranked number eight um, in the AP top 25. So it would still be a gigantic win for Arkansas. Um, what, what do you think this game would mean? Well, it would be huge, uh, obviously. It would get Arkansas over 500. Uh, it would be, you know, snap the long losing streak to A&M that I think all Arkansas fans are just sick and tired of hearing about because, Traditionally, you know, dating back to the Southwest Conference days, Arkansas dominated the series. I, I think I, I, heard, I heard a stat. I haven't checked this myself, but I believe from the time Frank Broyles became the head coach in 1958 through 1991, Arkansas's last year in the Southwest Conference, I think Arkansas's record was something like 24-10 and 10 in the series or 26-10. and 10. Like they, they won two-thirds of the games. Uh, so I think that would just kind of get Arkansas fans feeling like all is right in the world. You know, we're beating a program we're supposed to beat. Uh, but then also, it, I, I feel like if they got this win, they would probably be ranked, maybe. Uh, and if they do, it would, it would end one of the longest uh, droughts from the AP poll in school history. Uh, they're coming up, getting close to being the longest drought. So, uh uh, that would be really good. That would be another streak to, to snap for, for Sam Pittman, you know, already, you know, halfway through his first season. Yeah, he's already snapped two in the first four games. He could snap a couple more in game five. It's it's a really big deal. So Arkansas hasn't beaten A&M in eight games, um, but flex your uh, Halloween stat on the folks. <laughs> So this will be the first time Arkansas played on Halloween uh, in five years. Uh, they beat UT Martin that year, FCS team. That's not a big deal. But the last time Arkansas lost on Halloween was way back in 1942. Uh, they actually lost to Texas A&M that year. Since then, uh, there have been 10 games on Halloween. Arkansas is 9-0-1, so one tie and nine victories. And of those nine victories, four of them, just happened to be over the Aggies. So uh, pretty, pretty crazy coincidence as we head into a uh, Halloween 
uh, football game. So uh, we're not going down to Kyle Field for this game, but we have, you know, our folks at Aggie Yell who will help us out pregame. So make sure you get on the trough and you can see who the Hogs traveled and all that stuff and, and see who might be out for the Aggies ahead of the game. Um, but we'll be at home. What are, like, are people going to be trick-or-treating while the game is happening and we're going to have to, like, try to watch the game and then deal with kids at the door? I don't, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know. It's really going to be tricky for me. I haven't figured out all the details, but, you know, this is my daughter's first Halloween. And Aww. so she's got a you know a little ladybug costume and stuff. It's, that you know, is so cute. It's, it's adorable. It oh, yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Like, I, we're not really going to go trick or treating with the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. We're kind of playing it a little bit safe, but we're still going to well, go. Well, she's also less than a year old. Yeah, she's, she's almost. She, she a year can't old. eat candy, can she? No, no. <laughs> uh, plus, she, that, that girl does not need any sugar. Um, but we're going to go to like my parents' house and my grandparents' house and stuff, but uh, got to get that done and be back home uh, before kickoff, obviously. So it's, it's going to be tricky. Uh, I'm going to let my wife handle handing out candy, which we still haven't bought candy from the store. So we probably <laughs> yeah. need to do that. Us either. It, it's like $20 a bag and it is a lot of candy, but still like, damn, $20 on candy. And I don't get to eat it. Yeah. We don't get to eat it. That, that's the kicker. Uh, I'll probably just like put a bowl out at the end of like the driveway with some hand sanitizer next to it because every time someone comes up to the door, all three of my dogs are gonna go nuts. Oh yeah. So I'm watching the game and trying to you know take notes and stuff. It's gonna be so frustrating to have that uh, annoying dog barking going on. Um, Let's move to where this game stands for Arkansas in terms of rivalries. Because Sam Pittman said this week that Arcan that um, A&M is perhaps just behind Texas in terms of rivalries with Arkansas. And that, to me, I was like, that's not what I've picked up on in the past couple of years that I've been here. What do you think? Well, that's coming from a guy who's, I mean, how old is Sam Pittman? Is he six? <laughs> 50-something, 60-something. pretty old, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he remembers no offense, the Southwest. Yeah, no offense. Uh, but he's remembering the Southwest Conference days. He, he remembers, he grew up watching Arkansas. You know, he's just from, you know, northwest Oklahoma or northeast Oklahoma, uh, not very far from Fayetteville. He remembers watching Arkansas and Texas and Arkansas and Texas A&M and all those games. And so, I mean, he probably sees it that way. However, you know, people that are our age, uh, the people that you probably interact with on Twitter, you know, Nikki, the, the people that you've kind of gotten the sense from, they view the the LSU game as a bigger rivalry because, you know, they, they remember the all the classic games Arkansas played throughout the 2000s. And, you know, they played for the golden boot and things and uh, with, with trips to the SEC championship game on the line. Uh, so th that's probably the game a lot of fans remember as, you know, kind of the top rival you know, Missouri lately, they've, they've really been pushing that, the schools have, which I think and is honestly... And Arkansas fans hate that it's a thing that Missouri is actually a rival, and they are because, like, you know, you haven't beaten them in a while, but Arkansas fans obviously never wanted to be at the point where Missouri is a big rival. And I that's get it. The thing. 
I think the biggest issue is that the schools have forced it upon, you know, everybody because they, they replaced the LSU game after, you know, on Black Friday. This year it's going to be on Saturday. But traditionally, Arkansas LSU played after Thanksgiving. They replaced it with Missouri. They gave it a trophy. They, they gave it a name, not just a name, but a name sponsored by Shelter Insurance. Uh, it just seemed all very forced. If they had just let it come naturally – I think a rivalry would, would truly develop. And I think it will still eventually. It just will take longer for fans to be accepting of it because of how forced it was, you know, by both schools, by the SEC and everything. And uh, in Arkansas fans, you know, they, they take offense to these kind of things and they don't forget. They, they will hold a grudge. And so, uh, yeah, it is, it is a rivalry, although Missouri has dominated it of late. I think Arkansas fans are are, are sick and tired of losing to those guys. I'm sure we'll talk about it in a few weeks, but that's another streak that uh, I think fans would really like to see in this year. What does the Missouri trophy look like? Oh, it, it's very similar to the golden boot. You know, it's the, Oh, outline. it's just the other ones. That's funny. They've, they've got, they've got a, it's, so it's the bat, it's the battle line rivalry and like right. the, the line, the border, the line, uh, that borders Missouri and uh, Arkansas. Oh, yes. I remember Missouri lifting it up now. It's interchangeable. You could take either like a red one for whenever Arkansas wins and there's uh-huh. a, a yellow gold one or whatever for whenever Missouri wins. Uh, cool. So, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's a, it's a great uh, trophy. I mean, the design, I think, is, is really solid. You know, David Basil, former Razorback, you know, now radio personality, does a really good job on, on putting these together. I just think people are don't like it because of how forced it was. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think what this game, LSU, um, and then Missouri are those the three trophy games? Those are the three trophy games. Right. Uh, which is very cabinet's very, pretty empty. It's very Big Tenish. Because I feel like the Big Ten has a trophy game every week. Like all the teams, like, yeah. all right, Northwestern and Iowa are going to play for the Golden <laughs> Bucket or whatever. Uh, it, it, it's very Big Tenish. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, the other games that you could consider rivalries, I mean, I think Arkansas Ole Miss could be considered a rivalry because uh, they played a bunch, even when they were you know, in different conferences and have played some just wild games through the years and recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you could consider now Auburn a rivalry, but that's yes. more of because of the Gus Malzahn, Chad Morris. And Auburn would completely deny any connection to that rivalry. They're just like, yeah. No. And they, and I mean, <laughs> they just, I guess they don't understand why Arkansas fans hate them so much right now. And I'm like, well, it's, it's pretty obvious because Gus Malzahn is a very divisive figure in Arkansas. And then Chad Morris is unanimously hated in the state. Uh, and then throw in the fact that Auburn has come in recently and they've, they've gotten some Arkansas kids to, to go there and stuff. And so it's, it's a little bit of a rivalry right now, but I think it's more of a, a current, you know, sign of the times type of deal instead of a, uh, traditional rivalry like you see with maybe Texas or LSU or one of those schools including baseball I think Ole Miss that rivalry is like very much real like but but Lane Kiffin is making it hard for Arkansas fans not to like Ole Miss because he has you know really been endearing himself to Arkansas fans lately first 
you know, he acknowledged like the funny lane train derailment gif from from the football account. And I was like, oh, he's got a pretty good sense of humor. Okay. And then he said that the defense is the best in the SEC. Didn't even mention Alabama. Boom, more points for Lane Kiffin. And then this week, uh, you know, after Ole Miss got screwed by the SEC on another call, him standing up uh, and, you know, getting fined for what he said, which was very minimal. Like, he didn't actually tell people what the SEC told him. He just said the people deserve to know what the well, he SEC also retweeted said. a tweet. And that's, I oh, did he? Him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was very, it, I mean, I, I, I love it. It warranted a $25,000 <laughs> fine, but, you know, whatever. And then, and then he was posting pictures math. of his kid. Yeah, and yeah, he did some bad math. Couldn't figure out. That's so me. Couldn't figure <laughs> out how many pennies he would need to pay the fine. And then he posted a picture of his kid. And he said, oh, my kid's really upset that he can't go, you know, doesn't have his college fund anymore. <laughs> As if he's not making like three points on the million dollars a year. Um and then he's also like tweeting about paying um, a ransom, not a ransom, a reward for this lost dog in Oxford. Like he's just very much endearing himself on the Twitter sphere to people. And I think he was already like that. But once I think, you know, during the coaching search, when people heard that he like didn't really want to come to Arkansas, people were pretty negative about him. Yeah, I mean, I think people didn't like how that all went down because they feel like he maybe, you know, used Arkansas's leverage to get a better deal or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, I think everything you just mentioned uh, has kind of got him uh, where Arkansas fans really like him. I mean, you know, he was like, you know, hey, I'm glad I was able to get Hudson Clark a, a scholarship. You know, that's fantastic. And he just al he's always been funny on Twitter. I've always thought he was hilarious. Meanwhile, Mike Leach – funny on Twitter, running his players off the team. <laughs> um, I think Kylan Hill opted out this week. Tyrell Shavers, who I think is one of their receivers, top receivers, uh, he said he was opting out. Um, some other, and then and, and he said, this is just the beginning. Like, there will be more. And you're like, how many do you think you can get rid of? And you, you always preach this, you know, you can't have a Kansas situation. You can run off a certain number, but then at that point, like you have to start giving scholarships away to walk-ons. And while that's worked out decently well for Arkansas, considering, you know, Grant Morgan is currently a, a top five graded linebacker by Pro Football Focus. <laughs> Hudson Clark is going to get one and he's got three picks. So it's worked out for Arkansas, but it doesn't work out for everyone. Look at Kansas. <laughs> Exactly. It's a, it's a scary situation at, at Mississippi State. And it's also weird because, you know, when, when Chad Morris came into Arkansas, he ran off a bunch of players and everyone was like, oh, good, we're cutting the dead weight. These guys Most of them it. I didn't have any objection towards. Like, no. obviously guys like Jonathan Nance and the Michael Petway, like they had talent that, I, I mean, like maybe they weren't following Chad's standards, to, you know, to the T or whatever, but like usually you give those guys a pass because of how talented they are and you try to keep them around, but exactly. not, not that time. <laughs> Plus, I mean, he was inheriting a team that was, you know, on a, a slide down. I mean, they had just won, they just gone four and eight and one and seven in SEC play. And so like, all right, Chad Morris needs to come in and get his guys and yada, yada. And then I think, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. 
we know that wasn't the case. It left Arkansas in just a horrible situation in terms of, you know, having to put a million walk-ons on scholarship. And, yeah, a handful of those guys have turned out. But, I mean, a couple of guys that, that Chad Morris had to put on scholarship last year, it was just embarrassing. I mean, guys that didn't even play on Jack Lindsay. <laughs> well, I mean, Jack he Lindsay play actually played. Teams, I give actually. him credit. But, come on, he didn't need a scholarship. <laughs> I mean, he didn't need a scholarship because his last name is Lindsey. However, I do think, you know, I'm, I was okay with him getting a scholarship. One, I mean, he's a spring no guy, so I'm going to support him. But also, he, he was a contributor. He was the team's holder. He also played quarterback down late in the game, late in the season. Uh, hey, fine. The guys that I thought were weird were like Jimmy Stoudemire got a scholarship. You may be yeah, asking that yourself, was weird. You may be asking yourself, who the hell is Jimmy Stoudemire? <laughs> That's a good question. We never I don't saw. I think he ever never saw the field. Yeah. Two years and never saw the field. I don't even know if he dressed out and he had a behind the scenes hard worker. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I, I didn't. It was, it was bad. Uh, so yeah. So I, I wonder if Mike Leach could be getting into a situation like that where you're running off guys. And plus, Mississippi State, they, it's not like they've been a bad program. I mean, they've been to like ten straight bowl games. They've, they've finished. Uh, you know, I think they went six to six last year, or something like that. Uh, they are a decent team. They are not the Mississippi State of 15, 20 years ago. Dan Mullen turned it into a solid program, and I don't think the last guy did horrible. Uh, so it is interesting. You know, he's not—he's taking the opposite approach of Sam Pittman, who is like adapting to what he has. He is like, all right, we need to scrap all these guys. If you're not in, you know, you're gone, and we're going to get our guys to try to turn this thing around. We'll see how it works. At the beginning of the season, if you had to pick two of the new SEC head coaches, and, you know, you say the first one to get two SEC wins, you probably wouldn't have picked Sam Pittman and Eli Drinkwitz. You probably would have picked Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach. But, alas, here we are. Who was – who did uh, Missouri beat for their second win? I'm blanking. Kentucky. Kentucky, yeah. So, you know, it's pretty impressive. Um, I have a feeling Drinkwitz has taken a very similar approach to Pittman and just kind of, you know, loved his guys up, and that makes them play hard. And I think that's what Sam Pittman has done, clearly. Um, he said this past week, maybe it was during the open week, um, Arkansas is his last job and you know he is quite old so you kind of assume that already but it's nice to hear it isn't it yeah I mean it, and it, it just it kind of I mean obviously other coaches have said that before and then ended up leaving a couple of years later but it just feels sincere I, I can't think of names right off the top of my head I just know that other not just at Arkansas I mean I'm talking about you know everywhere right, else in the right country. yeah and like it, it, it happens, you know, there's, I'm not going anywhere. This is my job. And then they end up taking another job. Uh, mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I think that he truly means it. I think he, he really loves being in this area. I mean, he, I don't, he has a, you know, lake house down in hot springs. I'm pretty sure he had that, you know, he's had it even whenever he was at Georgia. It's not like he got rid of it. He loves this state. Uh, just, you know, the actual state itself more so than just the school. Obviously, he loves the school, too. If he had had the opportunity to play for Arkansas back when he was coming out of high school, I think he would have jumped at the opportunity. Uh, he ended up going to an NAI school, I believe, at the time in Pittsburgh State, not too far from here. Uh, so, I mean, he, 
I, I get it. I, I believe him when he says this is my last job. I mean, one, as you said, he's probably getting up there in years. So he's probably he's not going to coach for another twenty years. Uh, but I, I could see him this being kind of his his last hurrah, and you know, finally getting an opportunity to be a, a head coach. Let's just all hope it it ends on a very high note. <laughs> when it does end, um, he also said something else that made Arkansas fans very happy. He said he's going to do whatever it takes to try to keep Barry Odom, which, you know, we kind of assume you're going to throw as much money at him as you possibly can. But if the job's right, he's going to go like he's most coaches who've been head coaches want to get back to that spot. They they like leading their own coaches and doing things the way that they like to do it. So he'll probably, you know, be gone if not next year, the year the, the year after that. Um, but you know, I do think Arkansas fans wanted to hear that they weren't going to, you know, spare spare any pennies on Barry Odom. Yeah, I mean, they, they need to – I mean, they're already giving him a pretty nice contract. I think it's a million something or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, bef- until just recently, Arkansas didn't offer million-dollar contracts to co- assistant coaches. I'm pretty sure John Chavis was the first. Obviously, that was not money well spent. Uh, but I, I think Arkansas fans would be much more willing to open up the checkbooks to give Barry Odom a contract to make him want to stay for a little bit longer. And I think it helps that, one, Barry Odom and Sam Pittman are, are friends. They, they, they you know, know each other and like each other even before they started working together. And then also, Sam Pittman is very hands-off. I get the feeling that he just says, hey, Barry, you go do your thing, run the defense, do it all, you got this. Uh, so he's he's getting to do his own thing. Now, yeah, he, he probably does want to run his own program, you know, have a hand in the offense, have a hand in all the recruiting stuff and all that kind of stuff. But I, I also get the feeling that he probably also just likes coaching football right now. He doesn't have to mm-hmm. talk to us in the media every day. He doesn't have to do all the other duties that a head coach has to, to do. He can just go coach ball. And I think that's something Barry Odom really enjoys to do. So uh, the Razorbacks spent the open week getting healthy. So let's do a quick injury report. Um, Coming back into the secondary after a couple weeks off, Monteric Brown. um, He was at the top of the chart in coverage before he went out with an injury. Um, So it'll it'll be really nice to get him back, um, especially because his counterpart who started the season opposite him, Jerry Jacobs, has decided to opt out of the season um, that was unveiled to us. Was it on Monday? Yes. Yeah. So I had gotten a tip uh, that morning that Jerry Jacobs had opted out. And then we, <laughs> you asked Sam Pittman some roundabout questions to attempt to see if he would mention it and yeah you asked if Jerry Jacobs could maybe you know play safety or whatever and he said oh well you know he he opted out so it turns out you know Jerry Jacobs was pretty upset that um, he uh, wasn't getting as many snaps as he was when he started the season Um, Hudson Clark obviously playing incredibly well so he earned those snaps um, but he didn't take it very well, uh, reportedly didn't um, go too many practices during the open week. Um, and, you know, he had 
I'm, sh I'm sure when he was missing practice, they weren't just like not talking to him. I'm sure they were trying to get him to come around. Um, and then they had an exit interview with him and he apologized, but ultimately, uh, you know, when you, when you make that kind of decision, the team has to respond accordingly and everyone else was at practice. So uh, no more Jerry Jacobs. Uh, and then he announced a few hours later that uh, he is entering the NFL draft. What a whirlwind uh, for Jerry Jacobs. Transfers from Arkansas State, you know, very, very positive on social media. Makes you feel like, you know, he's a really uh, positive kid, but then can't handle the adversity of, you know, losing your job. And that's hard. Jarquez McClellan, he also opted out at the beginning of the season, and he said it was because, you know, his family had gone through um, stuff with COVID, and I think it, there was a ventilator involved in the situation, but he did wait until, like, the beginning of the season, I think, when, like, the depth chart was already out to opt out. So, um, I don't know if, if he was also a little bit hurt that he didn't have his job. Um, it just didn't make any sense because you still have a whole season. You never know what's going to happen. Hudson Clark could get hurt in the next game and you're just leaving your team to struggle without you. It's, it's sad. It really was, in my opinion, this may sound harsh, but it was very stupid of him to, to do that because you're right. I mean, an injury could happen any time. If there's one thing you, you should be able to take away from this Arkansas team is that injuries happen and guys have to step up. He would have most likely gotten another opportunity. And who knows? I mean, maybe Monteric Brown comes back and doesn't play as well after an injury. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's a possibility. Maybe Hudson Clark, you know, struggles a little bit. I mean, he is just a redshirt freshman walk-on. There's a chance that he just had a really good couple of games and then kind of hits a little bit of a wall. I mean, that happens with freshmen. You need a guy to step in and, and fill in for him. Uh, he could have, you know, like I asked Sam Pittman, he could have been a versatile guy and, you know, maybe tried to get a, contribute it at nickel. Uh, he could have maybe tried to contribute at safety. He could have been like a Swiss Army knife. Uh, he's a guy that he, he played okay while he was in there, but wasn't great. It's not like Monteric Brown who's playing at an incredibly high level when he got hurt. He was okay. Uh, but if he really, truly wanted an opportunity to maybe play in the NFL someday, I feel like he should have stuck it out, tried to play this year, and then who knows, maybe even come back for an extra year next year and uh, try to play again and improve, continually get better. I mean, he's, he's, he's gone from JUCO to the Sun Belt at Arkansas State to the SEC, but only had a handful of games. I just don't know if that's going to be enough for uh, an NFL team to really – They'll take a flyer on him. Yeah, so Jerry Jacobs, Jerry Jacobs is out. Monteric Brown is in. Bumper Pool is in. He practiced this week and last week, um, you know, minimal contact. But, you know, Hayden Henry did pretty good in his spots. So if, you know, early on in the game, it's, it's a struggle. I'm sure he can jump back in there. But Bumper's back. Um, Dorian Gerald, uh, Sam Pittman told us that, you know, after this – many weeks long ankle injury he's finally ready to travel with the team and it'll be kind of a game time decision whether or not he plays but he'll probably you know at least get a few snaps I would think so that they can test out how he's looking against you know live competition um anyone else am I missing anyone I think 
more than anything too is the it was a, a critical week the bye week that is to get guys like Rakeem Boyd and Traylon Burks a hundred percent or closer to a hundred percent I mean you wouldn't know it but by the way he played against Ole Miss but Traylon Burks was only 80 percent healthy according to Sam Pittman in that game so get him 100% healthy, could be dangerous. And I think everyone would agree that Rakeem Boyd was not 100% or really anywhere close to 100% when he played against Ole Miss. Uh, hopefully he's able to, to be back more close to the Rakeem Boyd of old uh, this week after having an extra week to, to get healthy. Looking at Texas A&M, um, Kellen Mond, he's completing passes at 61.5%. Um, He's actually ranked like 13th or something out of all the SEC quarterbacks so far this season, which is surprising. Um, but his stats are still pretty good. Um, he's throwing for more yards than he was last season and rushing for less. So he's staying in the pocket more. His offensive line has kept him so much cleaner than last year. I think they gave up like 31 sacks last year and this year he's only had like two or three or something. And I think one of them, you know, was credited to, to him for not getting out of it. Um, so yeah, it's going to be tough to get after Kellen Mond, I guess, with that offensive line. They have four seniors and a sophomore who was a five-star on that offensive line. So it's a, it's a veteran group with a lot of talent. Um, Sam Pittman said that it's like the best Aggie offensive line that he's seen in a long time. Um, Sam Pittman, he actually kind of explained how you try to get after him with the defensive line yesterday. Like he said, okay, so you, you try rushing with your front three, your front four. Um, if that's not working, you try all your twists and, and whatnot. And then if that's not working, you got to add in your blitzes. Um, you add in the linebackers, the safety blitzes, like you just, you just go through all these different things. And then if you can't get after him effectively, you just have to drop back, make him throw on you and see what you can come up with. And I was just like, wow, that's, I never like had a coach, like walk through step-by-step, step, like how you figure out what you're going to do during the game. And it was interesting to me. Yeah, it was interesting. And I think a big key to that is if, if Dorian Gerald can be healthy enough to play, I think that would be huge. Uh, but, you know, they've, they've done a pretty good job of at least getting enough pressure, even whenever they've gone to their three-man front. Yeah, you make them uncomfortable. That's all you need. Yeah, because you don't really need to sack them or anything. You don't want them to get out of the pocket because he is, even though, you know, I mentioned his rushing numbers are down, he is capable of running. I mean, uh, yeah. when he was a freshman, he had a 100-yard rushing game against Arkansas. So he is capable with his legs. Uh, I think more than anything, just what you said, make him uncomfortable. Uh, you really need to stop that running game and force him to throw the ball because he is prone to, to interceptions. In three games against Arkansas, he's thrown four interceptions with at least one in each game. So uh, I think that that bodes well for Arkansas. If they, can, if they can stop the run, keep them contained, put a little bit of pressure on them, uh, you, could, you could see some more turnovers. Yeah, he's only had um, two picks so far this season, nine touchdowns. So he hasn't been very error prone, but Arkansas does have a knack for making um, efficient quarterbacks less efficient and more error prone. Uh, see Matt Corral. So, um, you know, if they apply enough, maybe they get him uncomfortable. They have Hudson Clark in the right place and uh, things go their way. But stopping that run game 
is going to be tough. They have, you know, two really talented running backs, um, Isaiah Spiller and Anaya Smith. Isaiah Spiller is averaging over 100 rushing yards per game. Um, he had, I think the only one he didn't was against A&M, um, but he put up a lot against Florida, which, you know, their defense isn't that great this year. Um, so, you know, you have him and then you also have Anaya Smith who runs, but also they use him a lot um, in, the, in the passing game as well. So you have to look out for that. Um, they are um, down one of their top receivers, Caleb Chapman, uh, but they will be debuting former five-star true freshman, Demond Dumas, who is one of like the sickest players I have ever seen coming out of high school. So I'm like excited to see him take the field, even though, you know, obviously I hope he doesn't go off and kill Arkansas because that would be embarrassing, but um, excited to see him. Um, yeah, Jalen Weidermeyer, they're, they're tight end. They, they use the tight end more effectively than I think Arkansas does at this point um, in the passing game. Can't remember their, their leading receiver off the top of my head right now. Can you remember? I'm not sure who it is, but I know that they've, they've had a lot of uh, – they've had some injuries at receiver. They've had yeah. some really key opt-outs. And so it's, it's not your typical Aggie offense in that they've got, you know, three or four really dangerous guys in the passing game. It's, it's, uh, you, they're definitely a, a, a run first team uh, based on, you know, what their weapons are, in my opinion. Yeah, it's not great for Arkansas. Their run defense is giving up like 170-something yards per game. But they've, they've still, you know, won two games. So as long as you can keep the right balance and make the big plays when they count. You know, if they go all the way down to the goal line and then they fumble the ball, like that's still a win. So uh, keep them out of, the, out of the end zone. Their red zone defense is really good for Arkansas. So, um, you know. Hopefully that can continue. Um, defensively, I think the Aggies' strength is on their defensive line. They have some vets there, um, as well as some younger talent. Um, they have 10 sacks on the season. Uh, their linebackers are very active. Um, and I think their, their coverage guys are pretty good as well. So, um, you know, Arkansas' defense is obviously better than the A&M defense, but um, – you know, I think it's all in Felipe's hands this game. It's, it's, if he's having a good game, Arkansas definitely has a chance to win, I think. I agree with that, but I also think it's really important to try to get the run game going because I think that – But would... the Aggie defensive line, like, they're, they're second, I think, to Georgia's, and they couldn't do it against Georgia at all. So, I, I don't know. I don't yeah. have much faith that this is the game they get it going. Maybe they can get Traylon Smith and Rakeem some passes outside and do it that way but I'm just not sure going through the the uh, defensive line is gonna work yeah I mean that, that may be the case they just they don't need to be great I mean I'm not saying they need to go out there and run for 250 yards or anything but if they could just be effective you know get three yards a pop or something you know set up a second and seven every now and then instead of a second and ten or second and eleven or whatever uh, I, I just think that would be big. I, I, I really think they need to get Rakeem Boyd going because he is so he, – he, people forget how good he he's is. He's like a couple bad games or like 
just non-productive games, I feel like, from opting out and just deciding, you know, I'm just going to get ready for the NFL draft because this isn't making me look any better. Although then doing that, then you have, like, the character hit. I don't know. It's tough. But, like, for him, he's so injury prone that you wonder, like, would he be better off not playing right now? I mean, it's a valid question. I mean, you have to ask him. I mean, we we were all a little bit surprised when he decided to come back for an extra year. Uh, but I think he was expected to have a, you know, another 1,000 yard season and put up big numbers in the SEC and improve that draft stock, maybe catch a few more passes, uh, which is still possible, but, but we just haven't seen it yet. And I think that uh, I see so many fans, you know, whether it be on social media, on our message board, whatever, they're just so enamored by like, oh, Traylon Smith is the better running back. We need to give him the ball more and everything. I'm just like, I'm not quite ready to say that yet. I think he is a a very solid running back has different skill set uh, that I think kind of complements Rakeem Boyd, but Rakeem Boyd is still Rakeem Boyd. I mean, he's still one of the all-time best at Arkansas in terms of yards per carry. Uh, obviously, it's gone down a little bit since you know, the start of the season, but still, he is very, very good and, and capable of being a very good running back for Arkansas. And I just I hope we see a little bit about uh, a little bit of that. Uh, this weekend against Texas A&M. Um, Sam Pittman said the offensive line is progressing nicely. Um, he said they looked good in their um, Wednesday practice, not so good on, on Tuesday. He said their inside run uh, stuff looked good. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, special teams, that was one of the three areas of improvement that Sam Pittman really wants to see. Uh, we get Traylon Burks back in the return game, but you know these teams really aren't letting Arkansas return the ball very much at all. Like we just haven't seen a lot of non-fair catches. Yeah, I mean on, on the punt return, it seems like opposing punters have like amazing games every time they play Arkansas. It feels like every single one of them, you know, gets pinned inside the five-yard line or something like that. Uh, and that honestly that that's partly just on a, a fantastic punter however there are times where they've had to fair catch it you know outside of the 10 yard line or whatever and they haven't been able to return and I think it's on you know what Sam Pittman said is they, they aren't getting enough good hold up at the line of scrimmage you got to be able to hold up the coverage unit to at least give your returner a little bit of space you give Traylon Burks a little bit of space he can make something with the make something happen uh, but he just hasn't really had that opportunity. I mean, Arkansas has minus one return yard in the punt game all season. And they've only got 10 return yards in the kickoff return game all season. That's just, that's just not very good. Not something we expected to happen with a you know, full-time special teams coordinator. Have you looked into the Aggies kicker? I haven't, but now I'm very curious, and we'll probably do that right after this. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't looked into it either, uh, but I mean, that, that is a little area of the game where we're seeing less and less returns, uh, you know, now that you could fair catch it, you know, anywhere and it be automatically brought out to the 25, you see it less, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it is very, I mean, they have, Davion Warren is a capable kickoff returner, um, and now it looks like I've got pulled up here, Texas A&M actually leads the country in uh, average kickoff distance, uh, they have 90.4, 90, 90.5% of their kickoffs go for touchbacks. They've had 19 touchbacks on 21 kickoffs. So uh, 
Don't okay. think we're going to see any kickoff <laughs> returns this weekend. How's their punter? Do you have those stats handy? I am working on pulling that up now. Punting. Ar- Arkansas just really needs a break in that area. Like, they need some more yards. They can't keep driving 95 yards, you know. It's a lot tougher. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've, punt- they've only punted the ball 10 times through four games. Uh, they averaged 42 yards a punt. I don't know how many of those have been fair caught or returned or anything, but Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas, uh, their their old punter at Texas A and M, whose name escapes me, was absolutely incredible. I think he's in the NFL now. But uh, Texas A and M has typically had a, a pretty good punter that can you know make it hard on returners. Gotcha. Um, I think besides predictions, I think that wraps us up. Um, Hutch, I know. You know these games have been really close. You think it's going to be a heartbreaker this time? Yeah, I do. Uh, until they prove otherwise, I'm going to pick Arkansas to lose to Texas A&M. They, I don't know what it is about this series. They just find ways to lose, even when they've been good, when they've been bad. It's always been close. I, I'm, I'm not expecting a blowout by either team, but uh, if I had to you know, actually make a pick, I, I'm, I'm going with the Aggies to, to pull this one out. Um, Arkansas is a – I think it's right now 12 and a half point underdog I think I would pick Arkansas to cover based on you know the past and how close these games are but yeah I think A&M just has the talent advantage over them and you know their their strength happens to line up with one of Arkansas's weaknesses so probably a loss here but man we're gonna have a pretty lit Saturday night if they do manage to pull it off it's gonna be great I mean, before the season, I didn't think that Arkansas had any chance to win this game. Uh, I really, really didn't. But now you're starting to think, hey, maybe they can. I mean, I, I'm starting to think maybe they can in all their games, except for maybe Alabama. Well, I mean, definitely Alabama. I don't think they yeah. have any, chance, any <laughs> chance in that one. But, I mean, you know, I could maybe see them doing something crazy down at, at Florida. I'm not counting on it, but it wouldn't completely surprise me. But uh, before the season, I didn't know if they were they were going to win a game, much less you know be competitive in all these. Yep, exciting times. All right, everybody, get on hogbeat.com. Use code H A W G S thirty for thirty days free, or you know just subscribe. Just give us your money now. It's worth it. I promise. Football, basketball, baseball, recruiting, everything you need. Get on hogbeat.com. Thanks everybody for tuning in to the Hogbeat Hour. Auf Wiedersehen, and uh, good luck this weekend versus those Aggies.